Chapter 14 There had been nothing for the text to do but go to bed. It was too dark now to go out looking for the horse thief. And anyway, they had no idea where he had done his thieving or which way he had gone. That beats all, though, don't it, Pa, said Jessie, coming up to a person's house and stealing their horse right out from under their nose. I got to give you that, said Tuck. But the question is, was it just some ordinary thief or was it one that had some special reason? I don't like it. I got a bad feeling about this whole thing. Hush now, Tuck, said May. She was spreading a quilt on the old sofa, making it into a bed for Winnie. You're too much of a warrior. There's nothing we can do about it now, so there's no sense fussing. You've got no reason to think there's anything peculiar about it anyway. Come on, we'll get a good night's sleep and figure it out in the morning when we're fresh. Boys, up you go, and don't get talking. You'll keep us awake. Winnie, child, you bed down too. You'll sleep first rate on the sofa here. But Winnie did not sleep at all, not for a long, long time. The cushions of the sofa were remarkably lumpy and smelled like old newspapers, and the chair pad May had given for her pillow was thin and hard and rough under her cheek. But far worse than this was the fact that she was still in her clothes, for she had finally refused the offer of May's spare nightgown, which it's, which it's seeming miles of faded cotton flannel. Only her own nightgown would do, and the regular bedtime routine without them she was painfully lonely for home. Her joy on the road that morning had completely disappeared. The wide world shrank, and her oldest fears rolled freely in her consciousness. It was unbelievable that she should be in this place. It was an outrage, but she was helpless to do anything about it, helpless to control it, and exhausted by the conversation in the rowboat. Was it true? Could they really never die, these tucks? It had evidently not occurred to them that she might not believe it. They were only concerned that she kept the secret. Well, she did not believe it. It was nonsense, wasn't it? Well, wasn't it? Winnie's head whirled, remembering the man in the yellow suit was the only thing that kept her from weeping. He's told them by now, she thought, rehearsing it. They've been looking for me for hours, but they don't know where to look. No, the man saw which way we were headed. Papa will find me. They're out looking for me right now. She went over it again and again, laying wrapped in the quilt while outside the moon rose, turning the pond to silver. There was a hint of mist now that the air was cooler and the frogs talked comfortably. Cricket soon joined in with her shrill rhythmic song. In the table drawer, the mouse rustled softly, enjoying the supper of flapjack crumbs May had put there for him. And at last, these things were clearer in Winnie's ears than the voice of her thoughts. She began to relax, listening to the sound-filled silence. Then, just as she was drifting into sleep, she heard soft footsteps, and May was beside her. You resting easy, child, she whispered. I'm all right, thank you, said Winnie. I'm sorry about everything, said May. I just didn't know no other way but to bring you back with us. I know it ain't very happy here for you, but, well, anyway, you have a good talk with Tuck? I guess so, said Winnie. That's good. Well, I'm going back to bed. Get a good sleep. All right, said Winnie. But still May lingered. We've been alone so long, she said at last. I guess we don't know how to do with visitors. But still and all, it's a good feeling, you being here with us. I wish you was ours. She put out an awkward hand then and touched Winnie's hair. Well, she said, good night. Good night, said Winnie. Tuck came to a little later to peer down at her anxiously. He was wearing a long white nightshirt and his hair was rumpled. Oh, he said, you still awake? Everything all right? Yes, said Winnie. I didn't mean to go disturbing you, he said, but I've been lying here in, lying in there thinking I ought to be setting out here with you till you went to sleep. You don't have to do that, said Winnie, surprised and touched. I'm all right. 
He looked uncertain. Well, but if you want something, will you holler? I'm just in the next room. I'd be out like a shot. And then he added gruffly, it's been quite a time since we had a natural growing child in the, child in the house. His voice trailed off. Well, try to get some sleep. That sofa there, I guess it ain't the kind of thing you're used to. It's fine, said Winnie. The bed's no better or I'd switch with you, he said. He didn't seem to know how to finish the conversation, but then he bent and kissed her quickly on the cheek and was gone. Winnie lay with her eyes wide. She felt cared for and confused. And all at once she wondered what would happen to the tucks when her father came. What would he do to them? She would never be able to explain how they had been with her, how they made her feel. She remembered guiltily that at supper she had decided they were criminals. Well, but they were. And yet... And then a final visitor made her confusion complete. There was a creaking on the loft stairs, and Jessie was looking down at her, very beautiful and eager in the faint blue moonlight. Hey, Winnie Foster, he whispered. You asleep? This time she sat up, pulling the quilt around her in sudden embarrassment, and answered, No, not yet. Well, then listen, he knelt beside her, his curls tumbled and his eyes wide. I've been thinking it over. Pa's right about you having to keep the secret. It's not hard to see why, but the thing is... You knowing about the water already and living right next to it, so's you could go there any time? Well, listen, how'd it be if we was to wait till you're 17, same age as me? Heck, that's only six years off, and then you could go and drink some, and then you could go away with me. We could get married even. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? We could even have a grand old time, go all around the world, see everything. Listen, Mom, Pa, and Miles, they don't know how to enjoy it, what we got. Why, heck, Winnie, life's to enjoy yourself, isn't it? What else is it good for? That's what I say. And you and me, we could have a good time that never, never stopped. Wouldn't that be something? Once more, Winnie adored him, kneeling there beside her in the moonlight. He wasn't crazy. How could he be? He was just amazing. But she was struck dumb. All she could do was stare at him. You think on it, Winnie Foster, Jessie whispered earnestly. Think on it some and see if it don't sound good. Anyway, I'll see you in the morning, all right? All right, she managed to whisper in return. He slipped away then, back up the creaking steps. But Winnie sat upright, wide awake with her cheeks burning. She could not deal with this remarkable suggestion. She could not even think on it. For she didn't know what to believe about anything. She lay down again finally and stared into the moonlight for another half an hour before she fell asleep. Chapter 15 In Tree Gap, the same moonlight slivered the roof, silvered the roof of the Touch Me Not cottage, but inside the lamps were burning. That's right, said the man in the yellow suit. I know where she is. He sat back in his chair in the Foster's spotless parlor, crossing his long, thin legs, and the suspended foot began a rhythmic jiggling. He hung his hat on his knee and smiled, his eyes nearly closed. I followed them, you see. She's with them now. As soon as I saw they'd arrived at their destination, I turned around and came directly back. I thought you'd be staying up. You've been looking for her all day, of course. It might be quite a worry. He lifted a hand then, ignoring their exclamations, and began to smooth the thin hairs of his beard. You know, she said thoughtfully, I've come a long way, looking for a wood exactly like the one you've got next door here. It would mean a great deal to me to own it. And how pleasant to have neighbors like yourselves. Now understand, I wouldn't cut down many trees. I'm no barbarian, you can see that. No, just a few. You wouldn't find it different at all, really. He gestured with his long white fingers and smiled, his face crinkling pleasantly. We'd be good friends, I think. Why, the little girl and I, 
We're friends already. It would be great relief to see her safely home again, wouldn't it? He clicked his tongue and frowned. Dreadful thing, kidnapping. Isn't it fortunate that I was a witness? Why, without me, you might never have heard a word. They're rough country people, the ones that took her. There's just no telling what illiterates like that might do. Yes, he sighed, lifting his eyebrows and smiling again. It looks as if I'm the only person in the whole world who knows where to find her. And then the man in the yellow suit sat forward. His long face took on a hard expression. Now, I don't have to spell things out for people like yourselves. Some types one some types one combs across can't seem to cut their way through any problem, and that does make things difficult. But you, I don't have to explain the situation to you. I've got what you want, and you've got what I want. Of course, you might find the child without me, but you might not find her in time. So, I want the wood, and you want the child. It's a trade, a simple, clear-cut trade. He looked around at the three shocked faces, and as as if he were seeing nothing but calm agreement, he smiled delightedly and rubbed his hands together. Done and done, he said. I knew right away, I said to myself. Now here's a group of intelligent, reasonable people. I'm seldom wrong as a judge of character, very seldom disappointed. So all that remains is to write it on paper, giving me the wood, and to sign it. It's best, don't you agree, to keep things legal and tidy? The rest is easy. Nothing to it. You go for your local constable, and he and I will ride out and bring back the child and the criminals. No. Oh, no, Mr. Froster. I understand your concern, but you mustn't come along. We'll do this business my way. There now. Your terrible ordeal is as good as over, isn't it? I'm so thankful I was here to help you out. Chapter 16 the constable was fat and he was sleepy. He wheezed when he spoke, and he spoke quite a bit as they started off, he and the man in the yellow suit. First, they roused me out of bed in the middle of the night after I'd been out since sunup looking for that child. And now I suppose you're going to try and run me all the way, he said sourly. I got to tell you, this horse of mine is none too strong. I don't have to hurry as a rule. So most of the time it don't matter. Seems to me we could have waited till dawn anyway. The man in the yellow suit was as courteous as always. The Fosters have been waiting since yesterday morning, he pointed out. Naturally, they're very upset. The sooner we get there, the sooner that child will be with them again. How come you're so deep in it? asked the constable suspiciously. Maybe you're in cahoots with the kidnappers. How do I know? You should have reported it right off when you saw her get snatched. The man in the yellow suit sighed. But of course I had to find out where they were taking her, he explained patiently. I came right back after that. And the Fosters are friends of mine. They've, uh, sold me their wood. The constable's eyes went round. I'll be, he said. What do you know about that? I didn't suppose they'd ever do a thing like that, friend or no friend. They're the first family around here, you know. Proud as peacocks, all of them. Family proud and land proud, too. But they sold it off, did they? Well, well and he whistled in amazement. They thumped along in silence for a while, out around the wood and across the starlit meadow. Then the constable yawned deeply and said, You ready to tell me how long this is going to take? How far we got to go? Twenty miles north, said the man in the yellow suit. The constable groaned. Twenty miles? He shifted the shotgun that rested across his saddle and groaned again. Clear up in the foothills? That's a fair way, all right. There was no reply to this. The constable ran his fingers down the gleaming barrel of the shotgun. Then he shrugged and slumped a little in the white saddle. 
Might as well relax, he wheezed, suddenly companionable. We'll be riding three, four hours. Still, there was no reply. Yes, sir, said the constable, trying again. It's something new for these parts, kidnapping. Never had a case like this before that I know of, and I've been in charge going on 15 years. He waited. You don't say so, his companion said at last. Yep, that's a fact, said the constable, with evident relief. Maybe now there would be some conversation. Yep, 15 years. Seen a lot of trouble in 15 years, but nothing quite like this. Of course, there's a first time for everything, as they say. We got a brand new jailhouse, did you notice? Listen. It's a dandy. Give those folks nice, clean accommodations, he chuckled. Of course, they won't be there long. Circuit judge will be coming through next week. He'll send them over to Charlieville, most likely to the county jail. That's what they do for your serious crimes. Of course, we got the gallows of our own, if we ever need it. Keeps down trouble, I think, just having it there. Ain't ever used it yet. That's because they take care of the serious, serious stuff over to Charlieville, like I say. The constable paused to light a cigar and went on cheerfully. What you got planned for that piece of foster land? Going to clear it? Put up a house or a store, maybe? No, said the man in the yellow suit. The constable waited for more, but there was no more. His sour mood returned. He frowned and shook the ashes from his cigar. Say, he said, you're kind of a closed-lipped feller, ain't ya? The man in the yellow suit narrowed his eyes, his mouth above the thin gray beard twitched with annoyance. Look here, he said tightly. Would you mind if I rode on ahead? I'm worried about the child. I'll tell you how to get there and I'll go on ahead and keep watch. Well, said the constable grudgingly. All right, if, you, if you're in such a ding-danged hurry, but don't do nothing till I get there. Those folks are likely dangerous. I'll try to keep up, but this horse of mine, she's none too strong. Don't see how I could get her to gallop even if I tried. That's right, said the man in the yellow suit, so I'll go on ahead and wait outside the house till you get there. He explained the route carefully, then dug his heels into the flanks of the fat old horse, cantering off into the darkness, where just a hint of dawn glowed on the edges of the hills far ahead. The constable chewed on the end of his cigar. Hmm, he said to his horse. Did you get a gander at the suit of clothes? Oh, well, it takes all kinds, as they say and he followed slowly after, yawning. The gap between him and the man ahead lengthened with every mile.